and I've got to move the guys around and juggle them, and there's a certain strategy that you use. And then I discover, oh, by the way, Mike, you're also supervising the, uh, the sword aisle. And, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, what? I'm now overseeing 18 people, and I could not do this. And so the uh, full-time supervisor would come on the sort belt every now and then and get things in line. And Mike, do you know where this person is? No, but I do know where these three people are. The other 15, I have no clue. I hope they're where they're supposed to be. And I struggled. You're supposed to be down by 8 o'clock, and for me it was regularly 8, 10, and 8, 15. Now, that may not sound like a big deal to you. It was a huge deal. I had the, the, the GM screaming in my ear mic constantly. Come on, let's shut this unload down. And it, it was tough. And I came to the point where I was stretched so far, I realized I can't do this. I am not a multi-multitasker. I can do more than one thing at a time, generally, but I can't do many, many things at one time. And I realized I can't do this. That was humiliating for me. I could not, my short-term memory was okay, but it wasn't where it needed to be. I came to the edge of my abilities and I said, God, I need your help. I was going in at 2.30, 2 o'clock in the morning, getting everything ready. I did everything I could. I was just, I was praying through, God, what do you, what do you want me to do? I, I was making okay money. I'm supporting my family. But if something doesn't happen, like real soon, they're going to fire me. And so they sat me down and they gave me a warning. And I said, I hear you. And then they said, and oh, by the way, you're not going to be able to pass your paperwork on to your full-time supervisor. So you're going to need to stay, i.e., miss your Greek and Hebrew classes, whatever, in order to fulfill the paperwork because you can't pass it off anymore. Well, I wasn't the only one who was doing that. We all were doing that as part-time supervisors. And so I, I said, okay, God, I'm going to have to be working 45 hours a week, and, and I can't do that, and I need you to tell me what to do. And so the Lord showed me that I was to pass in my resignation. Um, I believe I told my wife this. Yeah, that was supposed to be a joke. Um, but my wife and I had a meeting of terms, and it's like, okay, this is, this is what we have got to do. And God moved me on, but in doing so, it, I felt like a failure. I felt like God was in this process of highlighting my weakness and in my fleshly times, I would imagine him stepping back and laughing, getting a, a kick out of it. Now, come on, you have smile on your faces because you have felt the very same way. God, where are you? Why can't I do this? I have failed. Maybe as a mom or a dad, you come to the end of your, like, God, I can't do this. As an employee or as a boss, I am in over my head. What do I do? Many times as employees, we've just said, you know what, forget it, I'm leaving. I can't deal with the boss, I can't deal with this, I, I can't deal with my own weaknesses, this is too hard for me, too hard, too hard, too hard. And we want to give up. And I'm just going to tell you, God will many times use the weak things and even the humiliating things in our life and in life to bring us to this place, listen to this, of healing and restoration. Really? So God 
began to use my weaknesses to force me into corner after corner in which I came to a place where I had to rely on him. There were times I am not a weeper. I'm just not. Though you may have seen me wiping tears from my eyes during worship. That does happen. I'm grateful for that. But there are other times in which those tears are a little bit too selfish, right? And I'm just, I'm just on my face before God. I am overwhelmed right now, God. What is going on? I feel like things are spinning out of control. I try to fix things and they get more broken, brokener. And I, I, I okay, God, I, I don't get this. I'm frustrated with myself. And to be honest with you, God, I think I'm frustrated with you. And you just want to throw in the towel. Not just me, you. You want to throw in the towel too. And maybe as you have left 2019 and you're moving into 2020, you feel like you have thrown the towel in and God has picked it up and he's handed it back to you and he's saying, will you take it? Now, do you follow me? Rocky in the 15th round, they want to throw the towel in, right? That's where I'm going with this illustration. And he's offering you the towel, and he's saying, do not give up. Last week, we looked at the Syrophoenician woman. And over and over and over, this Gentile, that is a non-Jew, kept pressing into Jesus. And he first ignored her. And then finally, his disciples came to her, and he pleaded with Jesus, please, this woman... She keeps coming to us over and over. Can Jesus please do that? My daughter this, my daughter that. Jesus, deal with it. And so Jesus says, you know what? It's not right for me to take the bread that's to be given to the children and, and toss it to the dogs. And the woman responds so well. She accepts the label of dog. Wow. And she says, but you know what? I'm not asking that you give me the bread. I just want the crumbs from my master's table. See, she was identifying the children's parents, our heavenly father, she saw as her master. I just want crumbs from the master's table. What humility, what recognition of her place before the sovereign God. I just want a crumb. And she pressed into Jesus so hard. And Jesus' response was this. Oh, I love such great faith. That's where we're coming to. Such great faith. God is wanting to build in you, in me, in us, such great faith. Now, we're going to continue. I'm actually going to read two stories. (coughs) And... These two stories are found in a series, really, of six stories that Mark lays out one after the other. The first one and one in the middle. I'm going to read both of those. And we're going to make some connections, and then we're going to, I think, see what Jesus' point is here. Next week, we're going to focus a little bit more on what Mark's point is and why he lays these things out. We'll read a little bit more. But two stories I want to highlight that I think are going to minister to us. This is God's word, people. Mark chapter 7, verse 31. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre. Remember, ministering to the Syrophoenician woman. Excuse me. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon. So that means he went north. 
down to the Sea of Galilee, backtracked a little bit, and if you have a map in front of you, then moving off to the west, east, excuse me, and into the region of the Decapolis, which is a large area east of the Dead Sea. Generally, Gentile, though not exclusively. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk. The Greek word there means speaking with difficulty. Now, you may have heard a deaf person try to talk. Sometimes they can, but I'm I'm not going to imitate it for fear that you might misunderstand. I wouldn't be mocking, but they can say some words, but it's generally garbled because they cannot hear it. They can only feel it in their vocal cords. And that was the way this person, this person was deaf, but when they would talk, it would be very difficult, if not impossible, to understand. This then finds this person, honestly, in a very humiliating situation, trying to communicate when they can't, trying to express a need, and there's nothing. And they begged him, Jesus, to place his hand on the man. After he took him aside, and I want you to underline that, taking him aside, Underline that phrase. Away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit. And I want you to underline or highlight that. He spit and touched the man's tongue. Mm. Mm Mm-hmm. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Ephata which means, in Aramaic, be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened. His tongue was loosed, and he began to speak plainly. Underline that phrase. He began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone. (coughs) Excuse me. But the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. And I looked up the Greek word here, and that is well-translated, ecstatic. It's to this point, I can't keep it in. It's overflowing, amazement, astonishment. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Mark then takes us through the feeding of the 4,000, and it's possible that this was one of the miracles, possible that this was one of the miracles uh, that Jesus did because he was ministering to the people for three days, Matthew tells us. After he feeds the 5,000, he has a little conversation with them on the boat that we'll look at next week, and then we come to verse 22. Chapter 8, verse 22, they came to Bethsaida. So they crossed, they're probably in the southeast portion of the Sea of Galilee, and they cross, kind of going north, because that's where Bethsaida, Bethsaida is. And <clears throat> they cross, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. Are you beginning to see some similarities here? He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. Can you underline? Led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? 
he looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Underline that phrase, saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home saying, don't go into the village. So we have two stories here. And, and, and forgive me, I, I'm saying the word story, and I hope that we're, I'm communicating properly to you. A story is not something that's made up. I have lots of stories from my past, and I'm not making them up when I tell you. The story about UPS, that was true, it happened. Stories from the Bible are true. And I'm, I'm sorry, that's, that's a given, but some people fail to understand that and they kind of see it as a fable. Absolutely not. These really happened. Jesus did these two miracles. The first one, the man was deaf. He was, for the most part, mute, but he could mumble, say things. They just weren't very intelligible or intelligible at all. <clears throat> Life for him was frustrating. He could see. I'm sure he was grateful for that. But someone with a speech impediment like this, or not able to talk, but trying to, can many times become the butt of many jokes. Not just here in America, but I am sure back then, and it was a humiliating thing to have to live with. And so the people around this man who loved him they brought him to Jesus. The man didn't go by himself. And the reason why he didn't go by himself, I am sure, is because he thought, I won't be able to communicate to Jesus what I need. And so his friends come with him, and they beg Jesus. They beg Jesus to heal him. Jesus then puts his fingers in his ears, and then spits, no doubt, on his finger and touches the, his tongue with the spittle on his finger. And the man's ears are opened, his tongue is loosed, and he can speak clearly. And everybody steps back in utter amazement. Wow! This is absolutely amazing. And the second story there is a blind man. And being blind, you generally have to beg. This man, the, the previous man did. This man no doubt did. There's very little that you can do. We can see stories such as in Acts 3 in which Peter and John went to pray and met a lame man on the way, and he had to beg. Many times blind people had to beg. Zacchaeus, excuse me, um, Bartimaeus was a beggar. He was a blind man as well. He had to beg. What a humiliating situation in his life. Hard. That's what he had to do to live. You know what? For me to live, to make money doing my paint touch-up business, I have to drive a rust mobile. I had to drive it this morning. Here's the thing about my rust mobile. That's just what I call it. If you ever see it, you'll understand what I'm talking about. Here's a painter who drives a rustmobile. How ironic. It's just beyond my ability. I can't fix it. <laughs> I'd be in a body shop for a week or two. 
And after that, they might give up and just crush it, say, sorry, Mike. But the truth is, I'm driving it, and, and it's sensitive. It's a, 92, it's a 1992, so that means it's about 5,000 years old. And I am trying to baby this thing, and I have to, here's how I drive it. I let it sit for a few minutes. It warms up, at least so I think it does. I put the gas on, and I have to pump it, pump, 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 until it gets into second gear, and you can hear it in, into second. See, I've learned the science of how to get this car working. Don't laugh at me because many of you have trucks and vehicles just like this, right? Maybe not quite as much rust. And here, I, now it's in second gear. And then I have to let it work on its own until, you know, for maybe a 200 to 400 yards. That means before I get to Casa Verde, I can now start to put my foot on the gas very gently. Here's what happens. I have learned the hard way. If I don't do it this way, it, it always sputters, just always sputters. You got to baby it. You got to be patient with it. And so the reason why I'm telling you this story is because in our own lives, you have limitations that many times they're humiliating, they're humbling. And you're frustrated every time you come up to the end of that weakness and you have to say, I, I can't. I can't. I'm not able to. And God is wanting to say, okay, you're going to need to be patient right here. You need to, you're going to need to baby this weakness. Because the next step is for you to say, I can't, but you can. If there is a story that God is developing in my life, a life story, many times you've heard me call it, it would be that, God, I can't, but you can. That would be it for me. And as I look in the in, in this story, I began to realize just how very personal these two stories were for me. So they've ministered to me this past week. I hope that they minister to you. Okay, I'm hoping, I'm praying. And for this man who is blind, then Jesus spits. It doesn't say that he spits into his eyes, but that he put spit. He probably spit into his, his thumb, rubbed it together, and then put his hands on the man's head and touched his eyes. And he applied spit to his eyes. The man apparently is not completely healed. Now, I don't know if you've been reading this story before, you have ever stepped back and said, what is up with this? Is, this is the only time in which Jesus halfway heals someone. Now, I want to ask you, as you have prayed, have you ever felt that God did a halfway job? Like, okay, God, you brought me here out into the wilderness for what? To die? That's what the Israelites thought. No, 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 no. It's to bring you into the promised land. And so I'm going to suggest to you that because Jesus does so th things so well, that many times we, he brings us here in which when we see, we see people like trees. And Jesus, it's because Jesus is not done. But many of you, that's where you live. And Jesus is needing to once again apply that spit to your eyes to completely heal.
So let's step back a moment. What? I, I've got a lot of questions. I don't know about you. I've got a lot of questions. I have questions like, why on earth does Jesus, you spit? Why would he do this? And why would he remove the people from the crowd? Why did he partially heal this blind man and then completely heal him? Let's understand this. For both of these situations, the people who loved them brought the person both situations, brought the person to Jesus, and Mark purposely uses two words, brought and begged. They brought the person to Jesus, and they begged Jesus. There was something of an intensity here. It wasn't, you know, Jesus, if you happen to have some time, it'd be really cool. Our friend here, he's in need. If you could know it is Jesus, whether you have time right now or not, we are begging you. We are asking you, and we are not going to leave until you listen to us, and you would please heal our friend. They begged, just like the Syrophoenician woman. Mark tells us that she begged Jesus. Mark wants to highlight this sense of intensity, this sense of not just coming to Jesus and saying, you know, it would be really cool and nice, but no, Jesus, you know what? I'm at the end of myself, and I, I can't go forward. 2020, overwhelming. I can't go forward without you doing this. And some of you, you need to approach 2020 that way. Jesus, uh-uh, uh-uh, I am begging you. I am desperate right now. And so they brought them, their friend, to Jesus, and they begged Jesus. And you get this, in, this sense of, I will not give up. I'm not going to be satisfied with a halfway healing. I'm not going to be satisfied with just speaking garbled words. And so we come to this second thing. So they brought and they begged. But then I wanted to point something out to you. In the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have, and I'm just going to crudely call them spit miracles. We have three spit miracles. We have the two that we just read. And then in John 9, now this is a little different, but Jesus spits on the ground he makes some mud, and he picks it up, and he puts it in the man's eyes. Now, the man may not have seen Jesus do this, but I'm, her, I'm sure he heard the, you know? I'm sure he heard it, and he's, he's just thinking, whoa, what are you doing? Who is this? Because Jesus just walks up to him. He doesn't ask him, at least that John knows. Jesus, they're having a little discussion. So Jesus, um, did was the man born blind because of something his parents did or something that he did that was like really bad? And Jesus said, neither, because God wants the glory of this. <laughs> God, we're going to give you glory. And he makes some mud, and he puts it on the man's eyes. And the guy's like, I'm sure he's kind of freaking out. Now, maybe because of the discussion, he figured out this is Jesus. But when they asked him who it was, he said, I don't know. Guess what? I was blind when I got healed, okay? I didn't know who this was. He didn't introduce, hi, my name is Jesus, and yours is. There was no cordial invitation this way. I don't know the guy he just put mud in my eyes. And then he told me to go to Siloam, which means sent. He sent me to that pool to wash. 
And apparently after I washed, I was supposed to be healed. But guess what? That's exactly what happened. I was healed. So here's what we find in all of the spit miracles that Jesus does. He removes them from the crowd. For the man, he was just walking up, looking around, put it on. Hey, by the way, go to the pool of Siloam, wash, and you're going to be good. And so the man goes off, and I'm sure he's led by the hand because guess what? He's blind. Uh, you know, George, John, whatever, Joseph, whatever your name is, friend, take me to the pool of Siloam because I've been sent there to the pool of Siloam, which means sent, you heard me. And there he washes in the pool, and he can see again. Cool story, I'm not, but I'm not preaching on that one today. And what we have in front of us are the other two spit miracles in Jesus' ministry. And, and I've got to say, because I'm just so curious, sometimes to my detriment, Jesus, why do you spit? Spit has absolutely zero healing capabilities. I can understand oil. Oil is sometimes put on wounds. It does have some medicinal value. But even though the, the, the 12 apostles went around laying hands on people and anointing them with oil so that they would be healed or demons cast out, the oil, though it has medicinal purpose, value, still did not heal them. Spit, forget it. It carries germs. It carries the last thing that Jesus ate or drank. It's disgusting. But you see, that's the point. If you were to look in both the Old and New Testament, you would find that spit represents disgrace. Specifically, when you spit in someone's face, it always represents disgrace. Where did Jesus' spit end up? In their face. But understand this, as I go any further, Jesus did not spit in their face, he used spit. And he did it apart from the crowd because he did not want the person to be humiliated. Jesus used that which was humiliating to bring healing. But his purpose was not to humiliate them. And now in my, in my own life, God has used so many humiliating circumstances, not so that I would be humiliated, but they're humbling in order to bring restoration or healing or fix a problem that I created. And so, <clears throat> as you come now into the New Testament, now this is interesting. Matthew uses the word spit twice. Luke uses it once, and John uses it once. And I told you this example of John. The other three Gospels, when they're talking about spit, and Mark is the only Gospel writer that it records these two healings, okay? Matthew and Luke and Mark, because in Mark, he uses it five times. Matthew once, Luke, excuse me, Matthew twice, Luke once, Mark five times. In the Synoptic Gospels, all three of them, Jesus is found either predicting his death, the chief priests and the scribes are going to arrest the Son of Man 
They're going to flog him and spit in his face and crucify him. But on the third day, he will rise again. And if it's not a prediction, it's then in the actual thing that happened. And two times in Jesus' trial, he was spit in the face, humiliated before all things, all people. The Sanhedrin and then before Pilate and his soldiers mocked, ridiculed. You see, spitting in the face communicates disgrace because the thing that comes out of my mouth, it's disgusting. Sometimes the word is used in Old and New Testament, like in Revelation 3, where it is spitting out of one's mouth or vomiting out of one's mouth because whatever's in the mouth is disgusting. Let me say it again. Jesus did not spit in these men's face, but he used spit. God's purpose in our lives, sometimes, church, sometimes, is to take that thing which I would look at and I would say, that's disgusting. That is disgraceful. That is humiliating. My weakness, man, I'm going to hide that. I don't want people to see my weakness. I want them to see my strengths. I want them to see my triumphs and how good I am. And maybe they'll like me or adore me or praise me or... I don't think it's just me, but God has had to do these things in my life. As my wife was talking about, in the year 2020, he's wanting to build more Christ-like character. Do we hear a woo-hoo? And many times, church, bringing us to the place where we realize, I can't, but I know God can, in stirring up that faith, he has to bring us to certain places, and he's going to use spit to do that in your life. Now, I'm going to grant the fact that Mark does not tell us why Jesus uses spit. But in all three circumstances that Jesus used spit, it was applied to the face, and the healing took place apart from a crowd because Jesus did not want them humiliated. And I want to ask you, will you allow? God, he he didn't use spit for every miracle, for every blind person, or every deaf or mute person. He didn't. But though their circumstances were humiliating, being a blind man or a deaf person that could not speak clearly, Jesus used that which was, in our opinions, humiliating or disgraceful to heal their disgrace. <clears throat> and so we're going to wrestle as we go through 2020 because at times God is going to have to do something and highlight that disgraceful thing, that ugly thing, that hard thing, that weakness in our life in order to accomplish his good purposes. (laughs) 
See, God's purpose for me at UPS was on the one hand to provide for my family as I was going through seminary. But his purpose was not to humiliate me. He did want me to show, he did want to show me some weaknesses. My response was crucial because it was tempting for me when I faced those weaknesses to walk away from them. No, I'm not even going to try because I know I can't. That's not how God wants you to respond. He wants you, if God is doing something in your life, not to retreat, but you say, okay, God, here I am. I know I can't do this, but this is what you're wanting me to do. And your purpose is not to humiliate me again like this, but for me to come to that point where I have to say, God, I can't, but I know that you can. See, that's faith. That is utter reliance on God. That is the ultimate purpose of your life, for God to form in you this supernatural faith that trusts God no matter what. Because at that moment, that is when God delights in doing miracles. He delights in it. He delights in doing something utterly supernatural in your life and forming something that radiates brighter than any diamond. And it will shout his praises throughout eternity. But it was a bit humiliating, humbling, hard. You know, I'll have to admit that there are times, really some hard times in my life, in which I just didn't get what God was trying to do. And my wife sat me down and she just spoke truth into my life. And God used my wife, who's not a pastor, hello God, to speak truth into my life. And he said, Mike, can you listen to him? Because if you can't, there's so much you were going to miss out on life because I purposely gave her to you. Or there are times in which I'm wrestling with something that is really hard, requires a lot of wisdom that apparently I don't have, and God uses my 12-year-old daughter to say, well, Daddy, can I just pray for you? And as she prays for me, it's like, Lord Jesus, you could not have spoken more clearly to my heart. Man. Why couldn't I see that? And my daughters, time and time again, have prayed prophetically in my life. Or just said, Daddy, well, what about this? (laughs) I am sure I was going to figure that one out. Yep. And God loves to use the humbling things of this world. God loves to use the silly things of this world. God loves to use the weak things of this world. God loves to use the spit in our lives to restore and heal. The last thing in the world that I would ever have found myself doing would have been painting cars. 
I can understand working my way through seminary, but now that I'm on my trek to being a pastor, Lord, painting cars. I, I didn't have to get a master's degree to do that. And God has allowed me to come to this place where I can enjoy my work. Except, of course, there's times in which I come home at night and I am so exhausted and so dead and I have to say, God, please, I'm 58 years old. But you know what? God uses these types of things to refine me. I'm the only one in this church that does paint touch-up. But you're the only one in this church who does you fill in the blank or has to do you fill in the blank. Jim is engaged to a lady by the name of Lydia. She has a sister, an adopted sister from China. Her sister had surgery that went south. She almost died. She was in the hospital, if I'm not mistaken, for two months instead of two days. She almost died, infection after infection. One silly, stupid thing that the nurses or doctors did after another. They were amazed at what had happened that they found out later. They finally bring her home. She spiked a temperature of 104. She had an infection apparently in her pick line. And as Lydia was telling me, she said, yeah, every morning for four hours because my mom is sick, my dad has to change her pick line, do this, get her ready for the day, four hours every single morning. Did he sign up for that? No. I've been praying for that man. And I tell you what, many of you have to do similar things. And you step back and you wonder, God, I don't get this. Is this my life? Is this what you have called me to? But Jesus used the spit, the humiliating things, the humbling, weak things, to accomplish his amazing purposes in these men's lives. So amazing were these things that people stepped back, overwhelmed with amazement, and said, Jesus does all things amazingly well. They did not step back and say, you know what, at least he can form words. They said, you know what? We want him to speak plainly. And we know that Jesus can do this. And that's why they brought the man to Jesus and begged Jesus to heal him. Jesus was not content with the man seeing only partially people as if they were tall trees. He said, nope, we're going to get this right. And he went back. Only time ever in his ministry. And I think Jesus is wanting, wanted to communicate to this man, I care for you so much. I am not done with you yet. I am not done. What would have happened if the man said, whoa, I'm suing for malpractice? Whoa, you know what? We're done here. I'm walking away. I don't, if you lay hands on me again, maybe I'll go back to normal, but you know, I'm not going to trust you. Isn't that where we are sometimes? You know what, God? I don't know if I can trust you right now. You brought me this far. That's not what I prayed for. You know what, Jesus? My friends begged you. They begged you to heal me. 
I, I can't see right. Did you bring me here just to do a halfway job? And Jesus would say to you right now, can you trust me for the other half? Can you trust me that I can completely restore, heal, make right what the devil has made wrong in your life? Can you let me do this in 2020? Let me just put some more spit on your eyes so you can see clearly, and I'm not going to go with the 2020 thing. I promise you I'm not. Apparently, there's been 2,000 sermons before 2020 started on that topic. And you, you, apparently, you guys found all of them. So I'm not preaching about clear vision in 2020, but... I, no, I'm not going to do that. Jesus doesn't do anything halfway and leave it. In your life, in my life, in anyone's life. He does all things well. His goal is to amaze you. That's his goal. I can only imagine those in the persecuted church finding themselves trying to share the gospel in China, and instead they are arrested. For them, in the midst of their torment and torture, to say, Jesus, is this, how, is, 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 is this the purpose of my life? I barely had an opportunity to evangelize, and this? Where is the victory of the gospel? I've planted so many seeds and yet have ye to see anyone converted. And now here's this person so close. I'm arrested and, and now I'm going to spend years in prison. Where's the triumph of the gospel? And may I just add some of those persecuted Christians died in prison. And I can only tell you that there are so many testimonies of people who had been witnessed to. And Jesus came through with yet another person and yet another person and another person, and that person did get saved. You want to know where the triumph of the gospel, do you want to know where the ultimate purpose of it all was? It was in that lost soul, in that sinner whose heart was awakened and changed by the power of the gospel after four people preached to them. Yes, the first one died. You know what? I want to live my life so that it counts. I, want to, I don't want to live with just seeing halfway or talking halfway. I want to live in a way that my life reflects the glory of God completely. Not that people look at Mike Curtis and are overwhelmed, but they look at what Jesus did in this very incapable man and give glory to God. That's how I want to live my life. And you know what? If it takes a lot of spit, I've got to say I'm okay with that. I have to. Because this life is so short in comparison to all that God has for us. Can you stand with me? Many times, church, there is humility before honor. There is a humbling 
before an exaltation. There is a hard time before an open door. There is a cross before a resurrection. Jesus, people spit in Jesus' face. He did not retaliate. He did not get angry with them or with his father. He welcomed it. But he knew that in the end, there was triumph. Can you believe that for your life today? There is triumph. Father, there is triumph yet in my life. There is triumph yet in every single life here this morning. For everyone who has embraced the gospel, whoever, everyone who is walking with Christ, there is triumph yet. And I just ask you, Father, in our times of weakness, in you using the the silly or the humbling things of this world or things in my life. Father, there is always, always glory that's going to come to your name. There is always triumph. And so, Father, as we stand here before you today, would you take those things that we have despised in 2019 and with the right heart and attitude would we be able to embrace them and move on into triumph in 2020 Father would you work in us those things that would bring us to that point that we say I can't but God I know that you can and I trust you that you will you will receive the glory. I am your servant. You're the master. I'm just taking breadcrumbs from the master's table right now. And I ask you, Father, please work in our hearts. Overwhelm us, God, with astonishment, with amazement, whatever you need to do, bring glory to your name. Bring triumph in the midst of tragedy in Jesus' name. Fill us again, God, in this year, 2020, with hope. And Father, as we learn your ways, we will pursue you and not go astray. That you will do amazing things beyond what I can and what I can't do. Thank you, God. We trust you. Jesus' name.